Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Give them a hand. Amen. Boy, they've, that's a lot of setup in the rain. Our production crew and camera folks, and uh, this just doesn't happen, and I appreciate them working so, so tirelessly. You may be seated. I want to invite you for just a little while this morning to the Gospel of Luke, if you turn there. Luke chapter number 11 is where we will find our text today, Luke chapter 11. And just have some things on my heart that I want to share with you. I have a, a number of verses that I want to preach down through, a number of verses that I just in a very calculated manner I want to talk about. Some of these verses we know very well, but if we're not careful, as I said a moment ago in my prayer, we can get stagnant, we can get stale, we can get casual, and we can miss the meaning and the power of Scripture because we've read it so many times. But today, I have put out there when they asked me what is the title that I wanted to use, and a lot of times I have titles, sometimes I don't. Depends on how fancy I feel. <laughs> And so I put out there today that that I was going to preach today a message on how did I miss this? How have I read the Bible so many times? How have I preached on certain passages so many times for 30 years and still miss it? And what you have to understand is that sometimes we don't have the spiritual capacity to handle at that moment what the Holy Spirit wants to download in our life and we have to grow and we have to be stretched, and we have to mature. And how many of you also know that the Bible is a living book? And it's up to date, and it's real. It's not changing. It's changing us. And that's what makes the difference. And there's some things here today that I want to develop in the context of this passage of Scripture that I trust God will use in a mighty, mighty way. And you'll just have to bear with the rain and uh, bear with the, the loudness on the canvas, bear with my voice, and uh, we're just going to have a good time. We're just going to learn the Bible together. It's going to be a great, big, huge, rainy Bible study. Amen? <laughs> and so it's just going to be a blessing, and so I, just, I want you to follow along. And uh, chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke, I know I've been having you stand. I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to read the whole text because there's 13 verses that I want to preach through. And so we're just going to pray, and then we're just going to jump right in. If you have a Bible open, say amen. Amen. Father, again, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to confess to you and to these, my friends, and to many people online, that if anything today is going to be accomplished of eternal value, then you're going to have to do it, because Greg Locke cannot. I cannot. I need the aid and the intervention of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would move in this tent. I pray that you would keep distractions to a minimal, and we know that there'll be a lot of them today, and that's fine. We're going to focus on the Word of God. And Lord, when we leave in just a little while, I pray that it'll be hard to leave, not because it's raining, but because you're moving. And people want a piece of what God is doing, and people want to know there's got to be more than this dismal life that I'm living. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. So Lord, today, don't let us miss it anymore. Help us to see the clear teaching of the text. And we're going to thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, in Luke chapter number 11, Jesus is going to teach a very interesting parable about the subject of prayer. Now we know this parable. It's mentioned in Mark, it's mentioned in Matthew, it's not even remotely mentioned in the Gospel of John, but in three of the Gospels, Jesus says something about the power of prayer, which is not even the essence of what I want to teach on for the next few moments, but we have to deal with the context. We have to dial back and read what does the Bible say so we can understand the narrative that is before us. So look, if you would, please, in verse number 1, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him, watch please the next phrase, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now look at me, church. Let me say something profound that needs to be heard. If there is anything that I would have ever wanted to be a part of in the history of the planet, it would simply be this. I would love the privilege one time to hear Jesus pray. 
to hear the prayers of the Son of God. Can you imagine how unbelievably powerful that must have been? Matter of fact, I can prove how powerful it was. The only thing the disciples ever asked for Jesus to teach them was that. You do realize that Jesus could preach, but they never said, Lord, teach us to preach. Jesus could cast out devils at the drop of a hat and bring the hat. And they never said, Lord, teach us to cast out devils. Teach us to feed multitudes with hush puppies and sardines. Teach us to walk on the water. Teach us to pray was the only earnest desire of their heart. And having seen, heard, and experienced all that they did, to hear Jesus pray must have been unbelievable for that to be the only thing that the disciples wished to be taught from Jesus. And he's going to use this as a springboard, not just for them, but for us to be taught how to pray. Now what he says next, we don't have time to develop. We're gonna read it. We call it the model prayer. A lot of times it's called the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. This is the model prayer. He's teaching us the aspects of what prayer looks like. Now, let me say this. He is not saying that this is how you should pray every time you pray. People miss that. Okay, we don't believe in vain repetition. We're not Roman Catholics. Say amen. We don't believe in just saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and counting a bead around our neck, okay? We don't believe in that. He is not saying that you have to use these same phrases. He's saying that these phrases in the prayer are the structure of how we are supposed to pray. Let me explain that to you. Let me show you in the text. Look at verse 2. He said unto them, when ye pray, say our Father which art in heaven. The first thing he's doing is reminding us who we are praying to. You're not praying to a preacher. You're not praying to a pope. You're not praying to a president. You're not praying to your spouse. A lot of times people say, well, you know, when you pray, you seem like you're just talking to God. I am. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to the Lord. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it doesn't mean that every time you pray, you have to say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It means know who you're talking to and know how big he is. It's a prayer reminder of God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's position upon his throne. Thy kingdom come. Yes, thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. That's a beautiful principle, by the way. As things are happening in heaven, so let they be in earth. You know what's happening in heaven right now? God's getting glory. Do you know what should be happening in this tent right now? God should be getting glory. People are worshiping Jesus in heaven. They're not worshiping their favorite internet preacher. They're worshiping Jesus, and so we ought to be worshiping Jesus. As in heaven so in earth. Verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for provision every day. It doesn't mean it's the same words. It means we're trusting God for the same thing. Notice he does not pray for monthly bread, weekly bread, or yearly bread. He prays for daily bread. Stop getting discouraged because God doesn't answer your prayers six months in advance. There's a reason he does not do that. God believes in fresh bread. He works every single day of your life. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now understand, Luke said the same thing. He just put a different emphasis. We're used to the Matthew passage. But I think it's good to read the Luke passage. Because again, if we're not careful, we think it's all about the prescription of the words. No, it's about the posture of our heart. That's what prayer is all about. But then notice, he uses that springboard of theology. He uses that moment of this is how you pray. This is what you do when you go into God's presence. He then moves into a story that you can't miss. Verse 5, and he said unto them, and might I say 2,000 years later, he is saying unto us, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. He said, this guy needs some food. Now, exactly why in the context the dude's hungry at midnight, I don't know, but it's the Bible. 
And so in these red letters, this man gets up and he goes to his neighbor's house and he says, hey, friend, I need three loaves of bread. I, I need some crackers. I need something to provide for my household. Verse six, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, we see the immediacy of the need. He's like, look, somebody came to my house unannounced, but I'm not going to turn them away because in the Bible, hospitality was a big thing. And might I say, hospitality should be a big deal to the church. It should be a big deal to the church. <clears throat> so he said, I had a buddy show up on his journey and he's, he's wet and he's cold and he's hungry. And so we let him get a shower and we're gonna let him have a good night's rest. We're gonna give him the best bed we got in the house, but we need to feed this guy and we'd like to break bread. So could you give us some loaves of food whereby we can feed this individual? Because obviously from a hospitable standpoint, he wasn't just going to turn him away, bread or no bread, right? Verse seven. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. Now, now, you have to understand, when Jesus is saying this to us, it's not a big deal. But when the people were hearing this, it was almost fantastical. It was almost funny. Jesus is saying, look, the neighbor is not going to just turn this guy away and let him starve to death. So what if he was to say, trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. He said, so let's just suppose the neighbor comes over and says, look, a cousin, a friend, a buddy, somebody from high school, somebody from Facebook showed up and said, I'm hungry, can I have a place to stay? And so then you run to your neighbor's house and say, hey neighbor, hey friend, I need three loaves. Do you think that the neighbor is going to look out the top of the bedroom window and say, let me tell you something, bucko, it's late. Me and the kids are in bed. I gotta get up entirely too early in the morning. My alarm clock is gonna go off and I don't want it to. Don't mess with me. Get off my porch, leave my sidewalk. I don't care if you starve to death, I'm going back to bed. And so that's the analogy that Jesus is building in the people's mind. Trouble me not. I say unto you, verse eight, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, Yet because of his, King James word, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So understand what Jesus is saying. He's used this word on a couple of occasions. It literally means the consistency, the fervency, the urgency with which you are asking. He said, so let me tell you why the guy's going to give him the bread. Not just because they call each other friend. Not just because they've been neighbors for 30 years. Not just because they talk over the fence. No. He said, you know why he's going to give him the bread? Because of his importunity. Because the guy is simply saying, will you please do something for me so that I can help someone else? Because at this moment, I do not have the ability to take care of it myself. And because he keeps asking, and because he keeps seeking, and because he keeps knocking, and because he stays fervently persistent, the neighbor is going to say, okay, 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 enough already. Woman, give his dude some bread. So watch what happens. He gives to him because of the importunity of his heart, because of the consistency of his heart, verse nine, and I say unto you. Now, wait a minute. Jesus just told a story for the purpose of helping us to understand real life. Jesus was an illustrator. He was a miraculous individual that could tell allegorical stories like nobody's business. C.H. Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, used to say that an illustration is nothing more than a window to the soul to open up to the ray beams of God's light. So sometimes you can't understand something unless somebody tells you a story. So Jesus was a masterful storyteller. All of his stories had a principle. All of his stories had a point. All of his stories had a reasoning theologically behind them. And so he just told this story of a man that got what he needed. Yeah, he got what he wanted, and not just for him, but for somebody else in need. And he did it because of the consistency of his heart. Because he said, please, please. When the guy started to close the window, he threw another rock up there and said, look, I got to feed this guy. Help me, please. And because... Of the consistency of his asking, Jesus said the neighbor gave him what he needed. And then he goes on and says, and because of this, I say unto you, verse 9, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. 
He that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall, that's affirmative, it shall, say shall, be open. Now understand, before we go any further, because further is where we need to go, because this is the stuff I missed. This part's pretty elementary, I get it. But Jesus did not say, well, just ask one time and then we'll figure it out. No, he said, ask, keep asking. Seek, keep seeking, knock. It's written in the continuous tense. Somebody says, well, you know, I've prayed about something I need from the Lord two or three times. You better pray about it two or three hundred times then. Because for the fervency, the urgency, the importunity, King James, of your heart, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. You see, it's all about your level of desperation. Desperate people will do crazy things. You know, in the NAAA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous world, they have a phrase called the gift of desperation. What they mean by that is this. You will get sober and clean when you get desperate enough to get sober and clean. And some of you will never get your prayers answered until you get desperate enough to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and keep finding yourself in the presence of God because the problem is you want to blame God for all the nonsense in your life when the nonsense is there because you're seeking everybody's approval but God's. Stop coming to me for wisdom when the Bible says ask God for wisdom. Stop looking for everybody else to take care of your needs and start expecting God to meet your needs the way the Bible says that he will. Philippians 4.19, my God shall so I supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And his riches and glory has not run out. But the problem is we think to ourselves, okay, how can my check help me? How can my spouse help me? How can my pastor help me? How can good grief the government help me? They can't. Them devils are bankrupt. They're spending your money anyhow. First thing we do is call the insurance, call the doctor. Can I get a raise? And we look for man to give us what only God can provide for us. We got to stop that. Ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. You got to keep on. You know, our problem is we got these little, now will lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take nonsense prayers. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. Well, I just can't get God to show up. That's because you pray five minutes a week. What's wrong with us? You know, Lifeway, for they went out of business and probably needed to, but nonetheless, Lifeway, they did a statistical data survey on how much Christians in America pray every week. You hear me? Every week. Christians in America pray less than 30 minutes a week. That's weak. Huh? 30 minutes a week. There's a lot of hours in a week. And we pray for 30 minutes. These little willy-nilly prayers. Lord, bless all the missionaries. Save all the lost people. Bring my prodigal kids back. Meet all my needs. Bless this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. He ain't gonna do it. Show me that schizophrenic nonsense in the Bible. Show me that. Now, here's the worst thing about the whole statistical data survey. And I know you can make numbers say anything you want to, but look, Christians, now we're talking about a week, not a day, a week. Christians pray less than 30 minutes a week collectively as a whole. 30 minutes a week. Pastors in America are only at 45 minutes a week. An entire week. What is it, 168 hours in a week? Uh, 45 minutes a week. And, and we wonder why the average pastor has no power. Why the average congregation has no power. No wonder the pulpits are filled with a bunch of hireling cowards. Now, the data just says that they might pray 45 minutes a week. 45 minutes a a week? You know, I, I remember when the disciples were in the garden with Jesus. And Jesus said, well, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Woke him up two times. On the third time, he said, just sleep on now. Take your rest, lazy bones. I added that part. I think we're at a place in the American church where God's like, look, I ain't gonna wake you up no more. Just sleep on now and take your rest, lazy bones, if that's what you want to do. If you want to be lukewarm, that's cool. 
He that's going to be righteous, let him be righteous still. He that's going to be rebellious, let him be rebellious still. He that's going to pray, let him pray still. He that's going to be prayerless, let him be prayerless still. But you know what I find interesting? That two of the three times Jesus woke him up, woke him up, let him sleep the third time. So three times they get a Holy Ghost rebuke for not being able to pray for one hour. Say one hour. But think about this. I can show you three times in the Gospels that they fished all night. And on two of those occasions, they caught nothing except a cold and frustration. Now, pray tell me, why can they fish all night long and not get sleepy? But can't even be in the presence of Jesus in a garden and pray for one hour without being so distracted that they fall asleep three times in the context of the Bible. You see, people do what they want to do. We wonder why our life's a crap fest. We wonder why our marriages are falling apart. We wonder why the average church in America is colder than a mother-in-law's kiss and the pulpit's dry as cracker juice. Nobody's getting saved. Look, I'm not talking this way just because God's been doing some big things in our church, but God's been doing big things in our church for a reason. We believe in prayer up in this house. He said, you made my house a den of thieves, but I'm telling you, it ought to be a house of prayer. He didn't say a house of preaching, a house of prophecy, a house of praise, a house of prayer. If it'll be a house of prayer, it'll be them other things. It'll be those things. You know, when we travel, which is a lot, a lot of times one of the first things I do, depending on how the building is set up, one of the first things I do is I go and look for the baptistry. Now, we're at a place now where we're traveling and people are asking when we get there, hey, are you going to do baptisms tonight? I always leave that up to the pastor. And nine times out of ten, it never works out. You know why? Because their baptistry is full of Christmas decorations and been that way for six years. They had no converts. Nobody been born again. I got three, count them, three preacher friends just this week that just lost their job this week because the church is dead and don't want a preacher to stir it up. They want it casual. They want it status quo. Be careful of the church with two last names. This ain't a family-run mafia organization. This is a church of the living God. Amen? <laughs> and I'm married to an Italian, praise God. But the church in America is dry. She's barren. She's prayerless. She's prayerless. We, we call them prayer meetings, and we pray for like five minutes. I'm not talking about us. Because we got over that nonsense because we recognize that prayer is the vehicle that drives the engine for what God is doing on this campus every single day, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. But we talk so much about prayer. We talk so much about power. We talk so much about the presence of God. And yet we see so little of it in the American church and perhaps the church around the globe. And it's because of this very issue. Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And we're so quick to throw up a prayer and give up and say, well, God didn't come through. Oh, yes, he did. Prayer is a two-way conversation. It's not about you just throwing up a bunch of grandiose ideas, rubbing a genie in a bottle and getting what you want out of the presence of God. Sometimes you got to sit, be quiet, and just wait on God. It's just a diesel heater. Look this way, not that way. It's all good. Ain't nobody burning the tent down. Praise God. And if they are, we got enough guns in this house, we'll take care of them. But nonetheless. You got to keep asking. You got to keep seeking. You got to keep knocking. So watch this. Now he's going to get to the context that I want to get to. This is, this is the part I can't believe I missed. This is the part I can't believe I missed. Give me a little bit of volume up here if you could, please. That rain's getting me. Verse 11. Or excuse me. Yeah, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father. How many fathers in the house? Raise your hand if you are a father. All right, there's a lot of us. <coughs> if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Now, let's stop and dial back for a moment on that. I know sometimes we're not always the best of fathers. I know sometimes we make some poor decisions as fathers, which don't beat yourself up too bad because God is the perfect father. He has the most jacked up family on the whole planet, amen? 
So you're not going to have any level of perfection, okay? There's a lot of things I wished I would have done differently and still need to do differently as a father. But he says, look, what dad in his right mind, what father in his right mind would give his son a rock, a stone, if he came to him in need and said, hey, dad, I need some bread? What kind of daddy would he be? Well, we sang a moment ago, good, good father. No, he'd be a bad, bad, worst father of the years, what he would be. Dad, I need some bread. Well, here's a rock, son. Enjoy yourself. Don't, don't, don't mess them feelings up. He's not going to give him a stone. He's not going to give him a rock. So watch this. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, by the way, that really has a no-nonsense answer. We know the answer. Is a daddy going to give his kid a rock when he wants bread? No, not a good dad. Is a daddy going to give his kid a snake when he needs a fish? And by the way, he's not talking about, I want a fish for a pet. I want a fish to eat. It's not, it's not pet swapping here. Well, you know, you can't have a fish, so I'll give you a serpent. No. What daddy in his right mind is going to say, well, you know, I, I don't have any fish, but I got a cooler full of snakes on hand, son. You have one of them, right? No daddy in his right mind is going to do that. And God understands that. That's why when we hear this, we chuckle when they heard this, they were probably belly rolling. They're probably like, this guy is hilarious. They were almost thinking that Jesus is becoming a stand-up comedian at this point because they recognized the fallacy and how foolish this would be for any father to do this. But he's not done, verse 12. Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? That'd be a rough daddy right there, wouldn't it? Listen, you, you get some CPS called on, you start giving your kids scorpions to play with. He said, look, daddy, I need an egg. And his dad says, well, you know, I'm fresh out of eggs, but I got a whole bunch of scorpions. You want one of them? What? What nonsense is this? It's supposed to be nonsense. It's supposed to be such an outlandish analogy that we, we understand what comes next. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. That's the purpose of this teaching from Jesus. So if he wants bread, you give him a rock? No. If he wants a fish, you give him a snake? No. If he wants an egg, do you give him a scorpion? No. If ye then. D did you see that phrase? If ye then, being evil, as sinful, fallen, cursed creatures, that all put our socks on one foot at a time like everybody else, if we, being evil, if we being lustful, if we being proud and arrogant and stingy and all about us, if we then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. But nobody has to tell you how to give things to your kids. Some of you are broke as a joke because of Christmas, right? And they played with the boxes for Pete's sake. Nobody has to tell you how to give good things to your kid. You're a natural person as a, per, a parent to want to do that. I want to make sure my kids get the food they need, the clothes they need, the shelter, the roof over their head that they need when it's raining. And so we make sure that we sacrifice at the expense of our children. And Jesus knows that. That's the point of the story. So he said, look, how much more as a father that knows evil and good and unrighteousness and right. How much more those of us that give to our kids, if we can figure that out, if we can be a good, good father in context, then watch what comes next. How much more? Say more. more. Say more. more. How much more shall your heavenly father and here's what I've always missed. Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Is that what the Bible says or not what the Bible says? Don't get nervous on me. It's what the Bible says. I, I've heard this my whole life. Well, you know, if your father knows how to give you good stuff, then your heavenly father knows how to give you good stuff. Yeah, but there's specific 
instructions on what the good stuff is that the Holy Father gives us. And I don't know how I can read something a thousand and one times and preach through it so quickly. It's red letters in the Bible. And be like, oh yeah, Kesarasara, no big deal. You know, this is what the Bible says, but let's move on. Oh no, let's wait for a minute. There, there's no going back from here. There's no, there's no moving away from this. You know, a lot of my friends, be they steel or be they ex- They've seen a bit of a change in our church. They've seen a change in my heart and in the teaching and preaching methods that I have utilized as of late. And a lot of my friends will say, I say a lot, a number of my friends will say something like this. Well, you know, Brother Locke, I just want to warn you. You need to be careful not to go too far down the road of this Holy Spirit business. Now look, I can't help his church as dead as four o'clock in the morning, but I'm not going to pastor a dead church. <clears throat> I'm not going to pastor a room full of people just showing up for a handout. I'm not going to pastor a bunch of people just, inter just interested in an internet sensation. I don't want that. I ain't got to have all that. You can see God can take all our stuff and you crazy people still show up in the mud. Y'all the craziest group of worshipers I've ever seen in my life. And they say, well, you know, you just, we, we just, we see you going a different direction. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am going a different direction. Because I found out that the Holy Spirit's going a different direction than I've been going for a long, long time. It's in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. If I've got enough sense to bless my six kids as an evil man, then don't you think God's got enough sense to bless his kids as a perfect father? And so... I know, I know. We can make this generalized, we can make this non-specific, and we can make this super comfortable. I don't want to. He said, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Not bread, not fish, no, 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 not eggs. Not provision. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And you know what's interesting? In the context, he's not teaching a bunch of drunken lost people. He's talking to followers. He's talking to believers. Don't we already have the Holy Spirit? Yes! In presence but not often in practice. And he says, how much more? Now, let me talk to you for a minute. I'm teaching out of the overflow of my, my brokenness in this area because I've been broke for a little while and God's had to fix me and mend me. I've read enough books to sink a battleship on this subject in just the last number of months trying to make sure that I don't miss it. But here's what I do know. When he says, how much more? I'm careful how I say this. I fear for nearly 30 years of preaching. Not that it's not been successful. It's been obviously successful. We've seen a lot of people saved. Traveled in 10 years of evangelism and now 15 years of pastoring and God's been good to us on social media. I don't minimize that. I thank God for it. But I wonder how much more I've not seen because I didn't ask and I didn't press into it. Which I'm not going to cry over spilt milk. So my question next is, how much more could we see if we really ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to be evidenced amongst us? I'm not asking that as a Baptist or as a Pentecostal or as an Assembly of God. I'm asking that as a Bible-believing, Book of Acts Christian. How much more is available to your home if you would ask for the Holy Spirit? How much more is available to this church 
if we would ask for the abiding, abundant presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me tell you something. I am tired of that making people seem weird and uncomfortable. I'm weary of that. And everywhere I go, I get it. And I, I still find myself careful in certain denominational spectrums of, of what I say, but I got to get over that because I'm, I'm finding that the reason they're in the mess that they're in is because they've been asking for everything but the power of the Holy Spirit. Things are happening that I can't explain and I don't want to have to explain them. I don't want to pray them away. Well, you know, you'll, you'll get through this fad. I hope I never get through it. I, there's no going back from here. There's no going back. When God reveals Bible truth, there's no going back. You know what everybody always says? Man, I love the fact I stick around because you're a Bible preacher. Okay, then stick around when we keep preaching the Bible. Because he didn't say just willy-nilly ask God for what you want. He said, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The abiding presence of God to those that ask him. How much more? How much more? Aren't we tired of hour-long, dry, boring church services? I mean, some of you drove a long ways just to come to see what God's doing in a rained-out, muddy tent today that don't even belong to us. Right? Because some of you go to a church, let's just be honest, they're just going through the motions. COVID didn't cause trouble in the church, it exposed trouble in the church. And so now some people watch us or they come visit one time and they're like, oh my goodness, you've ruined us. We can't never go back. I don't know if you should. Once your eyes have been opened, why would you go back to blindness? Why would you go back to something you know is not according to the Bible? I've just watched God manifest himself too many times and do too many different things. And I've got friends now that are truly my friends that have been on the other side of the fence with me for a long time. And they're seeing the transition and they're like, my goodness, it's undeniable what God is doing. How much more? You know, I know we hear all these sermons. It's 2022. It's the year of breakthrough. Not if you keep doing what you did in 2021. You're going to have to be challenged. You're going to have to be changed. You're going to have to get stretched. Some of you are going to have to get uncomfortable. Because what God wants to do in your life, he can't do it right now because you don't have the capacity to handle it because you're too small spiritually. And that's why you're going to have to ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock. And God's going to expand the horizons of your territory. He's going to enlarge your tent, as it were, and rain down the power of his blessings and anointing upon your life. And I'm telling you, the Bible is overflowing with the context of what we are dealing with today. There is more to God than the church wants to give him credit for. There's just more. Now, what I don't have time to do is develop the remaining part of the text for two reasons. Number one, it's lengthy. Number two, I don't know that spiritually I'm there enough yet to understand all that God has next in the text, and here's why. What happens next in the text is one of the most controversial subjects in the whole Bible. It's the theology of the unpardonable sin. And I'm going to be honest with you. Short sleeve honest, long sleeve jacket. I used to have whole sermons on the unpardonable sin. I mean long hour, hour and 20 minute, drawn out. Verse by verse, it seemed, line by line, skip a here, skip a there, jump all over the place, tie it together. This is what the unpardonable sin is. And I'm going to tell you something. I was wrong. I missed it. Now look, I know if you die without Christ, that's unpardonable. You going to hell, neighbor. I don't care what some cowardly preacher on TV tells you. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. 
That's it. So yeah, it's pretty unpardonable if you die without Jesus, right? If you reject the Holy Ghost, I get that. But that was the only aspect of that theological deal that I dealt with for years. That was it. Because it was an easy way to scare people out of hell. Don't die on me. I'll preach through lunch, praise God. You see, what happens next in the text blows my mind. We're not going to read it. Just think for a moment. Go back and read it. Go home and read it. Correct me if I'm wrong. But you know what happens next? Jesus casts devils out of somebody. By the power of the Holy Spirit that he just told us to ask for. And the Pharisees got angry with him. The church-going denominational hierarchies got mad at him. And they said, well, we know what your problem is, sir. You cast out devils because you are full of one yourself. And what they did was they just attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Can Satan cast out Satan? It's almost like he looked at him and said, you people are dumb as a box of rocks and you know it. But then he makes this statement. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men in this life and in the life to come. If you blaspheme the Father, there's forgiveness. If you blaspheme the Son, there is redemption. But whoso blasphemes the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven in this world, comma, King James, nor in yet the world to come. And I find it interesting that the thing Jesus was so, if I can reverently say, jacked up about in his spirit to these religious people is the flippancy with which they treated the Spirit of God. The church in America is in trouble. We're in trouble. Because we've gone to one extreme or the other. We've blasphemed the Holy Spirit so often that we don't even recognize the power of its wickedness. Because here's what happens. Most churches will deny the power of the Holy Spirit altogether and say that it was in some other age. Or... They will so oversize the work of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit says, I didn't come to speak about me. I came to speak about Jesus. Make sure the Holy Ghost lifts up Jesus. Amen. Or they so flow on the other side of the bandwagon that they allow unbelievable, unbiblical, emotional nonsense to overtake the church, and they think they're being led by the Spirit of God when they're being led by nothing more than a clown with a microphone. You see, you can have, you can have emotions without the Spirit of God. But you cannot have the Spirit of God without some sort of emotion. So I don't want to be on either end of the spectrum of completely denying all that God's doing, nor do I want to be on the spectrum of clearly denying what God's doing just because it makes me uncomfortable and doesn't fit my Baptist upbringing. I know some of you here today, and maybe this, by the way, if this is your first time, stick your hand up. Just, if this is the first time you've ever been with us, stick your hand up. Look at that, all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. I know, sometimes people come here and they're like, oh man, I just want to show up to see what he's going to say. We've outgrown that. I ain't got no use for Joe Biden anymore. I, right? You already know where I stand. And so, look, if you showed up at church because you thought, oh my goodness, they're nothing but a great big huge political rah, rah, rah rally. This is going to be amazing. Nope. 
No, this is the house that we want to learn to host the presence of God in. That don't mean I won't call these demon-possessed mongrels out when I need to. <laughs> don't get it twisted. But we have so outgrown CNN. We don't need them. We never needed them. We've outgrown the predictability of Republican versus Democrat. I'm sick of it. Two heads of the same snake. They're all devils. My loyalty is to the kingdom of God. My loyalty is to the local church. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ and the power of his prayer. That's where my loyalty is. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. I have been privileged to be invited into the underbelly of this movement. And it's nasty. Not just politically, but religiously. Look, I'm glad for every door the Holy Ghost is open. I'm on the biggest platforms in America. And some of them disgust me. The underbelly of politics disgusts me. The underbelly of the church world denominationally disgusts me. Some of the stuff that people are sitting under and don't even recognize it. Some of the things that we call Holy Spirit led are unholy, nonsensical, nothing more than witchcraft and sorcery and new age guruism in the church. And we'll talk more about that as the Lord downloads some more of that stuff into my spirit. But look, I'm telling you, I want to be a word man. I want to be a presence of God man. Look, I know whose team I'm on. I get it. I know we all get called QAnon, conspiracy. I know what YouTube says. I know it. I get it. I'm there all the time. I get the phone calls every day. I talk to all the big dogs. I get it. I'm sick of it. So I'm going to say something. I don't care how ticked off you get. I'm going to say something. Listen to me. Stop. Everybody say stop. Stop, stop sitting on your back butt and waiting for Donald Trump to do something in this nation. Stop it. Stop it. He gave the evangelicals a mighty voice, and I'm glad. Whether he runs or not, it's on him, not on me. But I'm sick of Trump worship in this church. You hear me? Let me tell you something. He was lied to and he knows it. And his arrogance won't let him change his mind. I'm telling you right now, on the authority of the Bible, if Donald Trump does not get out in front of this vaccine nonsense, he is going to lose his voter base in the next coming election. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't care, man. Don't come back. I don't care. If you come here because I like Trump, you're in the wrong house anyhow. You better come here because I love Jesus. I ain't playing these games. He needs to quit pushing this mess because the greatest president that we've ever known is going to be blamed for more deaths than we've ever seen and his arrogance won't let him see it. All of his spiritual advisors bailed on him. And I hate it. I hate it. He has no connection right now to wisdom. And he needs it. And he knows he needs it. And I've talked to people that are with him yesterday that knows he needs it. That knows. And what all that has to say about what I've been saying is maybe everything. This is a new year. I'd fly and shake his hand and meet him tomorrow. But I'll call him out on his nonsense as much as I will Nancy Pelosi and the rest of that crowd. I'm a Bible preacher. I'm not a Republican preacher. And I sure ain't a baby butchering Democrat preacher. Say amen right there. So look, I'm still invited as of now to all the rallies. But I ain't playing her. I ain't beating her drum. 
Okay, they're not using me as their one-trick pony anymore. I'm not going to be their golden child. I'm not interested. I'm just telling you where I'm at. I'm just telling y'all, y'all better get ready. Because God's doing something in this house. God's doing something in this house. God's doing something in my heart. God's doing something in your heart. There's more. There's more. There's more that God wants to do for his church. There's more. There's more. And I'll tell you what some of you ought to do right now. While you ought to own your feet, some of you ought to just come and start getting down here right now and just standing before the Lord saying, God, there's more for my marriage. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me the power of the Holy Ghost in my life. I want to see miracles and signs and wonders, and I want whatever God has for me. I want whatever God has for me. I want whatever God has for me. If you're here today for a baptismal celebration, in just a moment, you can begin to make your way to my right, your left, over to this side of the tent. Miss Billy and the crew will be there. But all over the room right now, I wonder, wouldn't we have some hungry people? Quit asking for bread, eggs. Quit asking for stones and scorpions and say, how much more do you have for me in the Holy Ghost? Don't let it scare you. Don't let it scare you. This is a house of worship. This is a house of miracles. This is a house of movement. This is a house of prayer. And what a phrase. How much more? How much have we already missed out on? The urgency of the hour is upon us. We've turned a curve. It's a new day. It's a new time. It's a new season. It's a fresh year. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. We got to press. We got to agonize. We got to bleed, sweat, strain. Move forward for the kingdom. Don't look back. And wherever you stand, wherever you sit, wherever you are, and all the people online, it's time, it's time, it's time that we say, God, there's got to be more. And we ask for the invading presence of the Holy Spirit in our life.